0: From New York's Hudson River Valley, I'm Ed McCann, and this is Read 650. Read 650 is a celebration of writers and the spoken word, five minutes and 650 words at a time. And this week, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, we celebrate Irishness with true personal stories from writers Anthony Murphy, Malachy McCourt, and me. The barmaid asks, pint of that i point
1: but she questions my attitude. What's up with you? I lost my dad, I say. Uh Uh-huh, she's listening. Have you phoned anyone? It's not like that, he was in an urn.
2: I did not dream of going to America to do anything for America. I just thought and dreamt of what it would do for me.
0: With another St. Patrick's Day approaching, I've assembled the tools and ingredients to make my late mother Mildred's Irish soda bread. And on today's Between the Lines segment, writer Colin Broderick recalls the challenges he faced as a young man in New York while trying to establish himself as a writer.
3: New York is where Irish literature comes to get its passport stamped.
0: That's all just ahead on Read 650. In many parts of the United States, and certainly in New York City, the St. Patrick's Day holiday is often larded with a kind of shamrockery or wackery that makes some of us cringe a little bit. You know, the mugs of green beer and those big Kiss Me, I'm Irish buttons and t-shirts. Instead of overcooked corned beef and cabbage, Read 650 acknowledges this St. Patrick's Day with four rich personal stories reflecting the lived experiences of Irish and Irish American writers. Individual perspectives presented with an emphasis on craftsmanship. Originally performed for a live audience at City Winery in Manhattan, these stories were proudly presented as part of Carnegie Hall's citywide spring festival, Migrations, The Making of America, acknowledging and honoring the perseverance and resilience of immigrants and the contributions they continue to make on America's diverse cultural landscape. We begin this week's show with writer Anthony Murphy, who told our audience a tale of travelling with his father back to the old side. This is Anthony Murphy reading his story, Another Family Plot.
1: So, the barmaid asks, a pint of that I point, but she questions my attitude. What's up with you? I lost my dad, I say. Uh Uh-huh, she's listening. Have you phoned anyone? It's not like that, he was in an urn. (laughs) My bag was stolen, I was at a party or something. Well, okay, where did you last see him? She asks, matter-of-factly. Dublin, I say. And she laughs, she snorts a big one and curses and crosses herself to keep the demons at bay. Holy feckin' Jesus! Do you even know where you are? No, I say. Ah, well, I hope you said your goodbyes, she says. Yeah, I say, not really. I just brought the ashes from England to get buried back in Cork. Here, she says, handing me a pint. You're in Wicklow. Thanks. I do remember a train, vaguely. The beer burns my throat, but I don't care. I wonder if this has happened before, the stealing of an urn. It must have happened before. Maybe they thought there was something important inside. Something valuable. No, there wasn't. I sit there sipping and feeling sorry for myself. A few more patrons enter the pub and are familiar with me. The barmaid lights a fag and blows the smoke out the side of her mouth and picks a piece of tobacco out of her teeth, I guess. It could be something else. (laughs) So what are you gonna do? She says. Can I get one of those? I point to a cigarette. Mm, No, she considers. You have to earn it. I am feeling hungry now with my empty belly. I look about the bar, but there's nothing really. Can I get a pickled egg, please? Sure, it's your funeral. Ooh, sorry, she says. (laughs) I I like them, I say, and I took into it. It's like a chemistry lesson exploding in my mouth, but it it helps with reality. It gives me a jolt. (laughs) Can I collect the glasses for you then? I said tonight, cheeks full of acidic protein. Then I can earn it, she thinks. Why not, she puffs, but I tell you, it's quiet on Mondays. She gives me one of her cigarettes. I agree with her, but I have a lot going on. I have to get across the country for the funeral service and I have no remains to bury. (laughs) Where are you, Dad? My head is as clear as a hangover. I check my socks for the little cash I have left. Can I have the whole jar of eggs, please? And another pint. Where are you going with this, she asks. But she gives me the jar. The weight and size of it are comparable to the urn. (laughs) Of course, it's glass and not plastic. I'll have to explain something to Aunt Maureen, but not that I haven't got dad with me. And there are only 10 eggs left. It's doable, I say to nobody in particular. Sure, weirdo, she says. Okay, everyone, the pickled eggs are on me. Do it for the old fella, I shout, and I raise the jar aloft with both hands like I've just won the cup. I hear one whoop, (laughs) and I have a few takers, although I have to eat most of the eggs myself. It's a chastening experience. (laughs) I know, I know I can throw them away, but that's such a waste, and I'll probably be hungry, and I won't eat for a while. My stomach revolts a little, but I manage. All night, I collect empties for my new friends and clean out the ashtrays. I stash all of their fagash in the old pickle jar. <laughs> Later, I have to sift it a little <laughs> to separate the books. Yet, at least I have a new dad. Although, he's lost weight and he's so Smells like vinegar and old smoke, but then again, he always did. Sure he would anyway. I tightened the lid on him. Thank you.
0: Anthony Murphy has worked and performed on the open mic and spoken word scene in the UK and New York for the last 12 years. He's written several poetry chapbooks, two illustrated children's books, and a novel, Shiftless, published by Atmosphere Press. He was most recently published in the Westchester Review and the Long Islander, and he lives by the Hudson River in Yonkers with his family and two dogs. Malachi McCourt was born in Brooklyn, but from age three he was raised in Limerick, Ireland. He returned to New York at 20 and worked as a longshoreman, a truckloader, and a dishwasher until he became an actor, a career that took him to Broadway, off-Broadway, soap operas, TV movies, and feature films. Maliki is also a gifted and prolific writer, and here he is, recorded live at our Straight Out of Ireland event at City Winery, reading My American Dream.
2: Some of us, not raised in the United States, romanticize the life of Americans. We imagine three-lined avenues with motor cars parked in driveways. We imagine cheery families with beautiful white teeth and warm dispositions, living in lovely homes with lawns and flowerbeds all lit by a friendly sun when you grow up abroad, you dream of this American life, not imagining there is poverty here too, along with disease and disability. You don't think about laborers, garbage removers, street sweepers, gas station attendants, maids, gardeners. You don't think about crime and criminals, the jailed and the jailers, or of a populace dreaming of a better life, perhaps elsewhere than America. I did not dream of going to America to do anything for America. I just thought and dreamt of what it would do for me. I knew I wanted to avoid manual labor. We always thought manual labor was the Spanish ambassador. (laughs) And not to have to work outdoors. And while I couldn't, didn't know just what I would do once I got there, I daydreamed a vision of myself entering a huge office building where I took a lift to ascend to a very high floor. There, a series of desk bound secretaries would greet me with, Good morning, Mr. McCourt as I made my way to an office where I'd spend my days making important decisions. (laughs) It did not quite turn out that way. I got a menial job washing dishes, and I did manual labour on the docks. I did some other work loading trucks and bartending before I began acting and appearing on radio and television shows. As my life in America became more interesting and complicated, I married, fathered two children, divorced. I remarried, became a father again, ran for governor, wrote books and a play with my brother Frank. And I now have eight grandchildren. It's been a rich and interesting life. Uh, Well, I owe much to America. I did participate in doing something important for America, too. My beloved wife, Diana, was previously married and had a child with developmental disabilities. After our sons, Connor and Cormac, were born, we had to seek residential care for Nina. And when we ran out of money, we had to move Nina to an institution known as Willowbrook State School. When we began poking around Willowbrook we discovered large wards filled with people of all ages screaming, blubbering, some completely naked in the pools of their own piss and excrement. Some of them sat banging their heads against the wall causing their blood to flow and mix with the stinking mess on the floor. For fun, some of the attendants had the beleaguered inmates put on sex shows for them. It was a deplorable warehouse of inhumanity, a notorious place where the most vulnerable human beings were horribly neglected and abused. Diana and I, along with some relatives of the inmates, formed a liaison with radical staff members, and we got a young attorney, an upcoming television reporter named Geraldo Rivera, To expose the innermost savagery of a shocking and inhuman system. Our daughter Nina joined a list of people led by the ACLU and the Legal Aid Society in a lawsuit that took five years and eventually closed down Willowbrook forever, releasing nearly. releasing nearly 6,000 citizens into relative freedom in their own home communities with appropriate support. Nina has gone on to live a relatively normal life in an apartment with two roommates and 24-hour care. And beyond Wirabook, there emerged a legal precedent that has changed the lives of people with developmental difficulties in this country forevermore. At his inauguration, our first Irish American president said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I came to America thinking only about what it could do for me, but helping change the system for all Americans allows me to breathe peacefully. Thank you, America. You don't need empty words to make America great again.
0: (laughs) Malachi McCourt worked as a radio talk show host in New York City. He's published articles in many periodicals, including National Geographic and The New York Times. And he's the author of five books, He's also the recipient of numerous awards, including the Irish-American Writers and Artists Eugene O'Neill Award. He lives in New York City.
4: This is Fran Tuno, and I'm pleased to introduce our next writer, Edward McCann. Ed was raised to take pride in his heritage, which he associated mainly with the music and food his family enjoyed around the St. Patrick's Day holiday. He's carried one of his family's traditions into his adult life. And as part of Carnegie Hall's Migrations Festival, he shared his story about it on stage at City Winery in Manhattan. Here's Ed McCann reading
0: Irish Soda Bread. With another St. Patrick's Day approaching, I've assembled the tools and ingredients to make my late mother Mildred's Irish Soda Bread. I preheat the oven to 375 degrees, slip an apron over my head and tie it around my waist, and then measure flour, salt, and baking soda into a glass bowl. Reaching for the sugar and butter, I consider the countless loaves of bread Mom baked during her 94 years. I only make this bread in March, and for me, its pleasures, both the making and the sharing, are linked not only with my memories of Mom, but also with the last days of winter, the promise of spring, with its brighter days and budding trees, and a yearning to return once again to my ancestral home in Ireland's Golden Vale, to Mitchellstown, Kilmallock, and Tipperary. The St. Patrick's Day card that arrived yesterday from my sister Betty is the only card I'm likely to receive this year, and it prompted memories of the green envelopes of every shade that once filled our mailbox on my childhood home in Broad Channel. Those greeting cards arrived from Aunt Seal, and from cousins Ethel and Edna and Geraldine and Dottie, from Aunt Millie and Uncle Harold, and other family we rarely saw throughout the year and who are now mostly all gone. Mom displayed these cards on our polished Magnavox television set. For me, an eye-level tableau of leprechauns and rainbows, of shamrocks, of St. Patrick and the snakes, of ruddy-looking men in caps, of freckle-faced red-haired children, of winding paths leading to forlorn thatched cottages, of gray horses in emerald fields, and of pints of Guinness and pots of gold. Those images, paired with television scenes of the parade and the sounds of the chieftains and the Clancy brothers on the turntable, shaped an abiding sense of my heritage. And on St. Patrick's Day morning, I'd awaken to a delicious aroma and then descend to the kitchen to find mom kneading lumps of dough while fresh loaves of soda bread cooled nearby. Few things transport me to childhood like a slice of that warm bread, a pat of butter melting and pooling amid raisins and caraway seeds. It's my Queens-born Irish-American equivalent of Proust's Madeline. <laughs> Soon, I'm thinking of my Irish grandfather, Jack, who emigrated with his family to Brooklyn at the age of three. And though he never returned to Ireland, he retained the faint brogue of his parents and his older siblings. I can say something you children can't, Grandpa liked to joke, adding, I came into this country with me pants on. (laughs) (laughs) I smile to myself and add raisins and caraway seeds to the mixture before me, then stir in the buttermilk. With flour coating my hands, I turn the cool lump of dough onto the board and knead it lightly, shaping it into a round loaf. Then I transfer the loaf to a buttered cast iron skillet, slash the top with a deep X, and slide it into the oven. Grandpa Jack, who disdained the fake once a year just add water Irishness that seems to demand overcooked corned beef and cabbage and Danny Boy, would never know That his daughter and grandchildren would return not only to the old sod, but to the townland and road and to the actual home of his birth. He would never know about the loving friendships we developed with our Irish cousins who welcomed us home, and of the long visits we now share both in Ireland and in America, the ocean no longer a barrier between us. And he'd never know that I, one generation removed, would one day reclaim my Irish citizenship. When my fresh loaf of bread has cooled enough to handle, I break through its browned crust with a serrated knife, and I cut and butter a slice, then sit down with a cup of hot tea. I glance at my watch, calculate the time in Ireland, and reach for the phone.
4: Ed McCann is a regular feature writer for Milieu Magazine and a longtime contributing editor to Country Living. His features and essays have been published in many literary journals, anthologies, and national magazines, including Better Homes and Gardens, Good Housekeeping, The Irish Echo, The Sun, and others. He lives and writes in New York's Hudson River Valley.
0: Our executive producer is Richard Kolath. I'm your host and Read 650's founder and executive editor. Our editorial team includes Stephen Lewis, David Masello, and Lisa donati Mayer. Our announcer is Fran Tuno, our chief technology officer is Sarah Caldwell, and our show was produced by Jim Russick. We'll be back with Colin Broderick and Between the Lines after this short break. This is Reed 650.
4: Support for Read 650 comes from City Winery, a fully functioning urban winery offering intimate concerts, food and wine classes, private events, and fine dining. City Winery strives to deliver the highest-end combined culinary and cultural experiences to guests passionate about sharing wine, music, and good food. City Winery brings the wine country experience to the city. View the complete event schedule at citywinery.com.
0: Colin Broderick came to New York from Ireland as a young man and found work in the construction trade but he was really spinning his wheels until he wrestled his demons to the ground and made the life-changing and life-saving commitment to become the writer that he is. This is Colin Broderick, recorded at City Winery, reading An Irish Writer in New York.
3: The New York I arrived in 28 years ago was one of abandoned buildings battered window shades and blackened shells along the highway. New York City was a city of shadows and ghosts and blocks you didn't dare venture down alone. It was a town that felt lived in, a town with an active working class. Madness and danger were a staple of everyday life. Not that it was easy, it was a hustle. It was a dodge and a weave, blindfolded and drunk through a minefield. Each new step, possibly your last. But man was it alive, an urban landscape so rich in story that words practically rain down off the fire escapes like rust chips and dance their way into my soul in ready-made paragraphs. Being young and Irish in New York, I was bequeathed the added romance of a literary heritage, even if I didn't fully understand it back then. New York is where Irish literature comes to get its passport stamped. As a young writer, I had a dream that one day I would see my name on the spine of a book on a shelf wedged next to Banville and Behan. There was only one small catch. I couldn't write. (laughs) I could drink, though. (laughs) Boy, could I drink. So I drank. I worked construction. I fell in love and out of love and marriages, like a man possessed. In the summer of 2006, I was 38 years old living in a fifth floor walk-up in Hell's Kitchen. I weighed 115 pounds. I was unemployable. I was somehow surviving on a diet of beer, vodka, weed and cocaine. In my alcoholic madness, I had been stabbed, beaten, jailed, hospitalized. The idea of taking a swan dive off my fifth floor balcony onto 9th Avenue had begun to haunt me as a viable alternative to the chorus of demons that plagued my every waking thought. One night, laying in the dark alone, sipping whiskey, listening to the blare of traffic below my window, I finally understood that this was the place right before death. If something didn't change soon, they would find me here on the floor of this apartment, surrounded by empty bottles. This was the end. It had to be. I moved to a friend's farmhouse upstate and began to write like my life depended upon it. It did. Within a year, I'd sold my drinking memoir to a orangutan to Random House. Over the last 11 years without a drink, I published three books, directed two of my own plays, saw my name in The New Yorker and The New York Times, took the stage at Lincoln Center to read my own work. I wrote and directed two feature movies. I met my wife and I became a father to a girl and then a boy. I am not rich, I am not a household name author, but I am still writing in my own roundabout way. I wound up living the very life that I'd always dreamed might be possible. I am an Irish writer in New York.
0: (laughs) Originally from County Tyrone, Colin Broderick has lived in New York for over 30 years. He's the author of two memoirs, Orangutan and That's That. And he's the editor of the essay collection, The Writing Irish of New York. Colin is also a filmmaker who has written and directed two feature movies, Emerald City and That's That. His website is colinbroderick.com. Are you a writer with something to say about writing and the writing life? Then please say it to us. Look for submission details for Between the Lines and our other upcoming topics on our website, read650.org. And if you like today's show, please share it with a friend. Your recommendations help new listeners find the show. That's all for today. Thanks again to writers Anthony Murphy, malachi mccourt and colin broderick for more read 650 follow us on your social media of choice or even better visit our website read 650.org to join our email list and we'll update you a couple of times a month with news and information about upcoming events thanks so much for listening today and for helping me spread the word about the spoken word happy saint patrick's day to you and yours i'm ed mccann and this is read 650